0: would the kids like to come up okay i'll have the kids come up and we'll pray for them all right so yeah this is something we've been doing as a church for a little while griffin i don't know if you'll have space to sit there that's all right uh where yeah we pray for our kids going into our sunday school spaces uh This is just an awesome opportunity to to think about the generational effect that, right, the Bible has on us, that we want to raise up this next generation. Uh, So let's just pray as a church. So stretch out your hands or fold your hands in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to be able to teach and love and care for these kids to show them the wonder of who you are and all the good things that you've made for them and the purpose and plan that you have for them Uh, we thank you lord that they are the church that they are a part of us that they are although being equipped at this age will likewise equip others lord god that they will bring forth your light and your truth Uh, in this time and in their generation. And we ask, Lord, that you would just pour into their hearts your word, give them a desire to know you, give them a satisfaction in who you are. May they delight themselves in you. And we thank you, Lord, for our workers in the kids' spaces today. We ask that they would find joy in serving as they get to tell the good news to this generation. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for equipping us as a church to be able to serve uh, these kids and to to build each other up as we go forth into this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys are dismissed. You go on to your classes with your teachers. Uh, Here, don't forget your... Right there. Right there. Uh, The rest of us, the, the sermon we're talking about today is from the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 19. It won't necessarily feel like the most Christmassy sermon. Uh, We'll see if I get into some Advent-type series in the next week or two. We'll see. I have no idea. Uh, But we're in Acts chapter 19. Uh, We've been going through the book of Acts and seeing God mightily move in the church as people are hearing the gospel. They're being set free. They're being healed, uh, delivered from demons. Uh, We're seeing people trained up and equipped Uh, by the Holy Spirit to be able to to serve one another. We've seen that it's not just uh, an all-about-Paul show that we read in the book of Acts, but God is equipping every believer uh, to be able to serve and build one another up, to be a light to the world. And so we see that the, the mission of Jesus, right, that kind of started on Christmas Day, if you think about it that way, right, where he's born into the world, the light of the world, uh, that he then does this ministry, he dies and is raised from the dead, that he then sends out the church to bring this good news to all the world. And that includes delivering those who are oppressed, those who are perhaps under attack uh, by darkness, by the enemy. So, so, like I said, might not be the most Christmassy theme, but the word of God is healthy all times of the year for our hearts to hear. So let's jump into the Bible. I'm going to read the, the whole passage today, and then we'll analyze it. And I might even read some uh, passages from Second Chronicles today. I don't think I've preached out of there too often. Uh, so Acts 19, verse 17. It says, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. All right, so not a super long passage there, uh, but let's, let's take a look at what it has to say. So it said, Uh, You'll notice it kind of started in the middle of a story because Acts is written down by Luke. It's a historical account of the early church. And it said when this became known to the Jews, right, and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were seized with fear and the name of the Lord was kind of exalted. Uh, The this that they are referring to is what's written right before that passage. And we talked about that last week. The idea that Paul was being used by God to heal the sick and God was doing all of these unusual miracles through Paul, uh, healing the sick and even uh, demons were being cast out by like aprons and handkerchiefs that had even just like touched Paul is this kind of cool thing. So, so the people are being made aware of the demonic being right forced back right as the kingdom of God advances and then there's the second event that's unusual that kind of surprised them and woke them up to this supernatural. Uh, where there were these seven sons of Sceva who were not followers of Jesus, but they would try to travel around and cast out demons. And one time they were like, hey, let's try to cast this demon out in the name of Jesus. And so they say to the demon, right, basically, we cast you out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So they, they didn't even know Jesus, right? They didn't even know Paul. They just heard the stories about Paul, probably. And, uh... And the demon ended up responding to them, saying, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about, but who are you? And the the man that was possessed by the demon actually attacks these seven brothers, and they flee from the house, bleeding and naked. So that's like this crazy event that, right, like we see that the supernatural is at work, that there's this kind of war taking place between, right, God's kingdom and the demonic, and right? So the people of Ephesus are like, wow, this is crazy, right? Things are going down, right? We were kind of involved with maybe this Jesus thing a little bit, but we still dabbled in our sorcery or some of our pagan rituals that we were used to. And they didn't at that time seem to think it was all that big of a deal until they realized who they were partnering with when they did that sorcery. That the fact that people were being oppressed by demons, right? And then Through Paul, God is setting them free, right? And then they're seeing, like, that these demons are not on, like, team people, right? The demons are not out for the benefit of others, right? Causing all sorts of havoc and uh, doing all sorts of these negative things. And so as a result of that being made known to these people, right, they they are suddenly, like, kind of, like, gripped with a a healthy fear, I guess, of the supernatural, that they're not just going to mess around with, Right, just whatever supernatural things that they were pursuing, uh, that they wouldn't just keep pursuing these sorceries or or witchcraft or these pagan experiences, uh, because they were realizing they were inviting into their lives these, right, these demons, essentially. Uh, So as a result of this fear coming upon them, they something good happens, right? They they distance themselves from that which is bringing harm to their lives distancing themselves from that which would bring bondage to them and then right are publicly professing and confessing right their sin they're professing Jesus and confessing their their sin publicly right and that the name of Jesus is is greatly honored as a result and so as a result of this some of these negative experiences god is brought glory and people are set free And sometimes we, all of us, can slip into a complacency uh, where we're not necessarily aware of the the cost of our choices or the things that we allow in our hearts to take precedence above God, right? We're not always, like, thinking of all of that stuff. And so these people kind of just have this, like, wake-up moment of, like, whoa, what am I doing with my life, right? Why am I dabbling in this demonic stuff? And they're seized with fear, and and they liberate themselves from it, right? They... They burn their scrolls, right? They, they get rid of all of this from among their midst. And we've seen this actually happen before, this kind of healthy adjustment and focus take place within the church. Earlier in the book of Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 5, the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, who they actually lie to the Holy Spirit and, and then die on the spot, right? Which was like this kind of crazy moment. Uh, where as a result of lying to the Holy Spirit and and deceiving the believers, the church, uh, they end up dying one after the other. And in that passage, uh, we saw that as a result of that, in Acts 5.11, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Right? So it kind of like recalibrated everybody like, whoa, like Holy Spirit's not someone to mess around with. Like we don't just kind of like, Right. Just do our little Christian thing on the weekend and just kind of put God in this little convenient box part of our lives that God is significant. God is mighty. God is to be honored and respected. And so as a result of that experience, right, they they kind of put God in right standing in their own hearts and perspective And as a result of that, good things happened. It says in verse 12 in that passage, And now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, that none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, Believers were being added to the Lord, right, multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon some of them, and right, implying that they'd be healed. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And so we see that this has happened before, this pattern where when God is held in high honor amongst believers, okay, that that then God is free to move mightily in the church, right? That his spirit can move, right, without any resistance, that he's free to move in our lives as we repent of our own sin, right, as we invite him into our lives, every aspect of it, right, that we don't have like a little compartment of like, God, I'll give you this part of my life, but but you're not welcome in this part, uh, right? As we open ourselves to God's moving, then God moves mightily in the church, okay? That this is something that this reverential respect, this, this fear, if you will, is actually a healthy and good thing for the church, okay? That this was something that happened in the church community, okay? That they recognized their own need for repentance. And that's, that's an awesome, awesome, Thing. Uh, the Bible talks about this idea that uh, comparing godly sorrow and worldly sorrow in a similar fashion to this, okay? Uh, where it says that godly sorrow brings us to repentance. Okay, that, that sometimes God will allow us to be convicted of our sin, we'll, where we realize the, the consequences of our choices, that we might be like grieved for a moment, but it brings us to a point of handing it over to God right, and experiencing this amazing forgiveness that he has for us, but it hopefully at the same time allows us to leave it and move on with our lives, walking in obedience to the Lord. Okay, like that's a good thing that happens as a result of of godly sorrow that he might allow in our lives. Well, the Bible contrasts that with worldly sorrow, which it says brings death. Okay, so like we we have this this balance, I guess, uh, where we as Christians, we can enjoy this freedom and forgiveness in Jesus that we know and experience the love of God. But at the same time, like we want to make sure that we're not becoming too comfortable or complacent with sin. Right? That we're not just like allowing or tolerating sin in our lives that then limits God's ability to move. Or maybe even like limits others' perspective to like join the family of God because they're, you know, have this idea that the church is full of hypocrites. Right? That like that that's a hindrance to other people coming and meeting Jesus and experiencing salvation. Alright? So like there's this healthy response that happens here in Acts. Right? Chapter 5, as well as the passage we're in now in Acts 19, where the church responds when they're like, wait, what are we doing with our lives? We became so complacent, right, that we tolerated so much kind of sin in our lives, idolatry even. And then once they've cleansed themselves of that, God was able to move mightily. One of, one of the other themes that we see in this passage in Acts is that they, uh, they were willing to confess what they had been doing one another okay and this was actually a really good and healthy thing all right this is an awesome thing to do uh fortunately like right in order to be forgiven right we can just pray to the father on our own okay like absolutely right you don't have to like go to a, a priest or confess your sins to to me or someone like that but there is still a value in in willing being willing to confess our sins to one another Okay, that uh, that we see in Acts 19 here that they were willing to admit like, hey, man, like I've actually been doing this sorcery thing on the side. This isn't right. Uh, I'm you know, I'm willing to repent publicly of this. Like I've probably been telling some of my friends about that and they're probably confused. Like, wait a minute, don't you do this Jesus thing and you're doing this sorcery thing as well? Like, I don't understand. Like it, it would have been confusing to others, but they're willing to now publicly set that situation right. Okay, uh, and, and, and it says this in, in James. You're probably familiar with this passage, James chapter 5, just talking about prayer, healing, and confession. Uh, it says this, And the prayer of, the faith, of, of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. All right, and so so in writing that, James is kind of emphasizing, hinging God's ability to move within the church on this idea of of confession, right, of being willing to repent or to change our mind, to turn from our sin and to to walk in obedience to God. And in this case, he's actually talking about being willing to, to confess your sins to one another, to pray for one another, that there's actually freedom that we experience as believers when instead of having secret sin in my life, I'm willing to right, talk to someone else about my struggles. When I'm willing to invite someone else in and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? Like I need to tell someone else about this because as long as I keep it a secret, the enemy seems to keep getting this foothold in my life. I keep falling into the same struggle over and over, and I need to expose this work that the enemy is doing in my life that I don't want anymore. Right? That freedom can come as a result of just, just being able to write prayerfully, right, ask for help, right, and just to confess the areas that we struggle with, right, to some other person, some other believer, not for the sake of them to then go out and and gossip about it, but for the sake of them to build you up, right, to remind you of the truth, right, That, that sometimes we become complacent with sin because we don't realize how much it's costing us. Right? That we're like, I don't know, but I kind of like it, so I'll just kind of keep living this way for a little bit. And, and the Bible actually warns us, I think it's in Hebrews 3, talking about, right, that we actually, our hearts can become hard due to the deceptiveness of sin. Right? That if, if we're not careful, if we're not allowing our hearts to be exposed to the Word of God, right, if we're not willing to look to others for encouragement or even like to lovingly correct us sometimes, uh, that our hearts. Can become hard. We'll just no longer think of it as a big deal that it's possible to like grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells within us that maybe he has gently been pointing out an issue in your heart and if we repeatedly reject what he's pointing out, he'll eventually just kind of all right, I'm not going to bring it up anymore. Right? And God will move less in us if we choose to reject the things that he's saying. Right? If we're if we're refusing to repent right of the things that are going on in our lives and so this idea of confession is like really really powerful okay sometimes uh god might allow you and your secret sin to be found out right and that's sometimes for like the health of like hey wake up like this was for your good okay that i wanted someone else to be able to come in and just say hey what are you doing like, come on, you're a child of God. Like, what are you doing? Like, let me come alongside with you and, like, encourage you. Like, you got to get out of this mess. Like, let me help you. Right? That, that the Bible says in uh, Hebrews 12, I think, that, like, we should kind of untangle ourselves of the sin that so easily ensnares us. That we can run this race that God has set before us. Right? That, like, we need each other at times to encourage us. And, and so sometimes, like, if it goes long enough, God might have another believer lovingly, right, bring correction or balance, right? I love this proverb. Uh, It says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, right? We need friends that love us enough to tell us the hard truth sometimes because they love us. You know, whereas someone who's your enemy, they might be like, yeah, you're doing great. Nothing wrong here, right? Like, yeah, you're awesome, right? And they're just, Flattering you and they're not willing to tell you something that might be hard to hear, but would produce so much life in you as a result. Okay, so like you need friends like that sometimes, but better yet than like, you know, someone catching us in our sin is to like go and seek help and confess it to others before it gets to that point. Right, right. That God is graciously willing to discipline us as his children because he loves us. Okay, so let's see. So let's, let's look back. I don't know if you can put uh, Acts 19, verse 19 again. I know I didn't have it in sequence, but jump back to the top over there. Right? It said, and a number who had practiced sorcery had brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I think different translations might try to like contemporarily eyes. That didn't make sense. But that currency, right? Because I don't know what a drachma is. I think some, the New Living Translation actually might even like relate that to like millions of dollars or something like that. But either way, they were really, really valuable. Okay? Uh, and so we see that as they recognize the demonic was at work in their very city, right, they're willing to now burn and get rid of the very things that they were becoming involved with. Right? That they're like, we need to get rid of this. I don't want this in my life or in my house. Right? That they burned these scrolls that they had. And and this is a really good thing that they did. Now, notice that these scrolls were worth a lot of money. And you might be like, why did not they just, like, sell them, right? Like, get some money, right? Like, kind of live this new holy life, of course. But, but then they'd have some money, right? Like, then they could get some stuff done here, right? That'd be great. But the problem is their, their conscience probably didn't allow them to do that because they would be making a profit off of someone else's deception and destruction, right? They're like... I don't want to, I can't give this to someone else if it's going to lead them astray, if it's going to lead them away from Jesus, right? That they were like, no, like the only good place for this is the, the fireplace, right? Like I've just got to get this out of my life. And so as, as followers of Jesus, similarly, right, maybe you haven't been practicing sorcery this week, but there are areas of our lives where we might allow idols in our hearts, where we might allow things to come between us and God, where we, we place things in wrong priority, right? And, and sometimes, like, it's easy for, for us as Christians to be like, yeah, like, you know, like, sex or drugs or, or all of these different things, but, but it's also issues of, like, pride or matters of our heart or, or like, our own comfort, right? Just this idea of, like, I just kind of want to, like, relax, just build up some savings and make myself comfortable at home and... You know, I like taking naps myself, right? Like, it's just like we might value our own comfort than the call that God has for us to go build his kingdom too much. That that could be out of order, possibly, okay? So idols can be any sort of thing that we would allow to, to be in the place of God in our own heart. And so at times we need to expose that, right? We need to be aware of that. Right? We need to be willing to, to smash those idols, to burn those idols, to get rid of that and place God in right place so we can celebrate Him as the Savior that He is. All right. Now, in, in this case, in case you are involved in different supernatural things, the Bible is pretty clear that we shouldn't be involved with right, sorcery, for one. Uh, but I'm going to read to you a passage in a moment that talks about this. But before I get there, right, we've in the last month we talked about uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 where the Bible encourage us, it encourages us to pursue love, first of all, and spiritual gifts. But we as Christians should not just pursue any supernatural experience, kind of as evidence based on this, right? There are demonic spirits at work. So we're not just open to like, I just want to be visited by angels or something like that. Like, no, 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 no. We don't want that, okay? We want only what God would have for us. Because the Bible warns us, Jesus warns us, that there will be people that are false prophets. Or or in First John, he tells us to test the spirits, right? Every spirit. Or Paul, I think it's in Galatians, says, listen, like, if a person, if Paul's like, if it's me, right, or if an angel visits you and tells you any other gospel besides the one that you've already heard, let them be accursed, right? So, like, we're not just looking for, like, angels to visit us and to, like, tell us what God's will is for our lives, right? We we have the word of God, right? Can God communicate that way? Yes, all right? But when it disagrees with what the Bible says, like, that is not anything that we want to be a part of. Okay, uh, and in fact, when talking about the spiritual gifts, we saw that even in the in the aspect of the gift of prophecy, that if someone's willing to speak out uh, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and it appears to be this like prophecy that they have, uh, that even in that situation, when they're claiming it's under the unction of the Holy Spirit, that it's to be weighed against what the Word of God already says, right? That like we are to weigh something that appears to be a work of the Holy Spirit against the Word of God. And if that's the case, then so much more should we weigh any other supernatural experience against what the Word of God would claim. Okay? So, so here we go. Here we go. I'm going to jump to 2 Chronicles 33. You probably haven't opened that page of your Bible in a while. Uh, but 2 Chronicles 33. And uh, when reading First or 2 Kings or First or 2 Chronicles, it's talking about the history of Israel. This is after exodus had happened after god liberated them from egypt right and brings them into this promised land a generation later because the first generation complained and crumbled and all of these things and died in the wilderness but but right eventually the people of god asked for a king which wasn't what he wanted for them and then he gives them kings he's like all right if you really want it here's here's your king it's not going to be great but there you go uh and then you can read these brief biographies of generation after generation and you'll see that it summarizes someone's entire life in just a handful of sentences and the perspective that the Bible gives us of these individuals' lives is like, you just start getting to the moment of like, okay, here comes a new king, come on Just do the right thing, man. Like, you've got this. Just like, keep the covenant with the Lord. Keep pursuing God and his plan for the nation, right? Like, just just do this, man. Come on. And then like, and then you read and you find out, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, right? And it's just like devastating to read generation after generation as these kings fail to do what God called them to, right? When they lead their entire nation astray into pagan worship and all of these different practices. And it's just, like, heartbreaking, right? Because, like, when you first start reading the Old Testament, you're like, here we go. God picked Abraham. This is going to be great. God picked Moses. Here we go. God's got the 12 tribes. Here we go. God's going to restore Israel. This is going to be good. He's going to establish his covenant. He's going to show the world how good and glorious he is and, right, demonstrate to the world what a godly nation should be. And, like, you get this attitude where you're, like, rooting for them. But then the whole Old Testament becomes a case study for the failure of humanity and that we have no ability to save ourselves, which is exactly what it's meant to do. But it's kind of like we're used to this idea of, of good guys and bad guys, and we want to see like, the heroes of the Bible like, rise up as these awesome men and women of God, and then they're all imperfect, right? And it's it just like is evidence to this need for the Savior to come. Right? The whole Old Testament is just like evidence to our need for Jesus. Right? That it it removes kind of this idea of, of our wrongly placing this hope in humanity to suddenly figure out all of its problems. Because we repeatedly fail. Right? It's not the most encouraging thing, but it's great news when you find out God loves us and still sends a Savior to save people like us. Okay, like, so that's the good news. So here we go. Okay, so I I prefaced that enough. Here we go. 2 Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. So a very young king. All right? And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And here we go. We're like, come on, Manasseh. You've got this. Come on. Like, don't do the, the sins of your fathers, right? Just do the thing that God's telling you to do. And then here it goes in verse 2. Let's see, where's my water bottle at? Did I leave that? Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Here we go. Verse 2. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. It's like, come on, man. Man. That's too bad. Right. This is this is going to be a little bit of a sad story, but God's grace will be demonstrated in it. Fortunately, so this guy did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I want to point out, uh, it's not about whether or not we might think something is evil. All right, because all of humanity, we have we do a bad job of figuring out what's good or evil that's kind of like the whole adam and eve thing where they instead of letting god define what was good and evil they're like you know maybe i can define this for myself i'm gonna define what's good and evil for my life uh but we're bad at that it says in proverbs that uh, there's a way that seems right to a man but the end is destruction okay so what matters is was it evil in the sight of the lord okay because as we read these these books of the bible these historical books about these kings what matters is their whole life is summed up and looked at and weighed by God, right? He's the one who is just and righteous. He's the one whose opinion matters in the end, okay? And, and so like you or I, we like might not always, what we think of as evil isn't always necessarily the thing that God says is evil, but God's the one that's right, just so you're aware. I'm wrong when I think that something is good when it is evil, all right? That's right the way that it is because you and I we are not the the righteous judge of all the earth right we don't have that job title we're not good at defining those things but yet through the bible through training right we're, we're able to discern that which is is right and so we see that he did that which was evil in the sight of the lord and what's interesting is he actually fell into the pagan practices of the people that were in the promised land before God brought the people of Israel there, right? So, so he's like, hey, man, like there's this cool culture and history here. Like, let's just get into like what they were worshiping. Let's do the things they were doing. But yet it's like written in the, in the context of these were the people that God drove out of this land to bring the people of Israel in, right? This was the land that, right, as Joseph brought, right, his fathers and, and his children to Egypt to flee a time of famine, God said, listen, there will be 400 years of slavery that you end up enduring in Egypt, but I'll bring you back to this promised land that I have for you. But it wasn't going to be before that point because the people that lived there, it said that God wasn't willing to judge them until their sin was kind of worthy of that judgment. Okay, that even the people who lived here that were doing wrong, it's like every generation is like, God's like, all right, are you gonna do the right thing? No. All right, are you gonna do the right thing? No. And like he, he gave them this grace for 400 years and they repeatedly do what's wrong and then eventually God's justice demanded action. But God wasn't going to like take them out until that point, until it was the just thing to do and bring the people of Israel in. And sadly, even the people of Israel returned to those exact practices. Okay, so, so this is what he ends up doing. Verse 3. This is, these are some of the things that were evil... In the sight of God. It says, For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. So in this case, Hezekiah had actually destroyed some of these pagan worship sites. But now he rebuilds them. And he erected altars to the Baals. And he made Asherah. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So he's worshipping these false gods. He's worshipping the host of heaven, the stars. Right? He's into all of this other stuff. And this is evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, One of the things I'll I'll, like point out here, like in terms of like raising our our kids, right? Don't just like let your kid pick their own religion, okay? We see this like 12-year-old king. I don't know how long it took him before he started worshiping these false gods, but eventually he does. Like don't just like let your kid pick their own religion. Teach them what is true, Obviously you're not ever going to override their free will anyway. They'll still have the, the chance to reject it. But like don't just like spread out for them all of these holy books and then just be like "Eeny meeny miny mo man, catch that tiger," right? Right? Like no no no, that's not a good thing to do. That's unkind. All right? Like you don't do that. Like as a math teacher in a high school, I don't just be like, "Hey, like you just kind of make up your own geometric theorem," right? You apply whatever algebraic property you want. That's cool. No, I spend all day teaching them the true theorems and properties, right? Like, that's what I'm paid to do. And when they make mistakes, it's like, hey, let me, you know, that didn't quite work out. You can't distribute an exponent over addition or subtraction. Let me show you a couple counterexamples, right? When you're squaring a binomial, it's the perfect square trinomial that it becomes. That's okay, but let me show you the truth, right? That's like, that's the kind and loving thing to do, because when we understand the truth, we are better equipped to make better decisions for our lives. All right. You can look it up later. Perfect square trinomials. Uh, But nonetheless, that's the same thing. It would be unloving to have like your kid just randomly pick whatever religion that's out there. okay? because we know that God has proven himself true, that every word of the Lord is proven true. Right. God's demonstrated his love for us in being willing to die for us when we were his enemies. Okay, like, God's demonstrated this. Like, the the Bible is true. We can see that historically, because it wasn't written all at once, it was written over, like, 1,400 years or so, uh, that there were prophecies written in the Old Testament that then were fulfilled hundreds of years later in history. And it's like, okay, like, this book is different than the rest. And according to this book, these other religions, these other gods are either false or they're demonic. All right, like, there are not great options there. And so we don't want to, like, just encourage our kids to do that. And sadly, the choices of this young king leads not only himself, but his nation astray. All right, what else did he do? Verse 4. It says, and he built altars in the house of the Lord. All right, so he built altars in God's temple, all right, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So he's worshiping pagan gods in God's own temple. That's like adultery in the marriage bed. It's just like even worse in poor taste. It's just like, oh my goodness, like what are you doing? Like this is so disgraceful to commit adultery in the temple of the Lord like this when you participate in idolatry. Verse 6, all right? And he, you read this right, burned his sons, as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. All right? Evil in the sight of the Lord. He burned his own children alive in worship to these false gods. Okay? Like, evil in the sight of the Lord. But notice then what this list continues towards. You might not consider these other things to be evil. You might be like, well, I don't know. It's just fun. Right? But check, it, check out what he did. He, right? And used fortune-telling... And omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Right? That as he pursued these other, right, spiritual experiences, it was evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? Like, neither you or I know the future. Neither you or I can speak to the dead. Right? But what we do know is that right? We don't have to worry about tomorrow because God's got it taken care of, right? God is working all things together for good. And if I'm trying to pursue and figure out and predict what that future would entail by pursuing false religious experiences, all right? Pursuing the demonic, right? That's, that's ungodly. That's, that's evil in the sight of the Lord. That, like, this isn't a good idea. This is a bad idea, all right? That, That this would lead myself astray or others astray towards lies and deception. To to lead people away from the the creator that loves them. Alright, so like that's what we end up seeing him do here. This this is something that grieves the heart of God. Let's see, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 9 if you could. Alright, so it says, Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So like, the chosen people of God were doing worse things in that land than the Canaanites or the Ammonites before them. It's like, like isn't that disappointing? Like, you have so much hope for humanity? It's like, oh my goodness, no, no, Why? Right, And Manasseh's choices led not only his own heart astray, but his entire nation then is pursuing this false religion. Right, like This is devastating. This is such a sad story. And in verse 10, it says that the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to the people, but they paid no attention. In 2 Kings telling of this story, it says that God sent his servants, the prophets, to, to warn them lovingly. Like, listen, like, if you keep doing this, like, you're going to lead yourself astray. This is going to lead to your own destruction. Like, do not do this. And everyone's just like, nah, now we're good. But, yeah, like, these warnings are this gracious thing that God does, trying to, like, listen, you can still turn from this. What are you doing? Right? What are you doing? It says that, uh, as a result, verse 11 Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Right? He's just like taken in slavery, captive to these foreign nations. Fortunately, even with all of his failures, God's grace is not done. All right? God's grace is not done. Check out the next verse. And when he was in distress. He entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard the plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into, the, into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Like how gracious is that? That God's like, this is the guy who's burning his children to worship false gods when I created him and loved him and loved his kids. And God's still like thinking, maybe I can bring him back. Maybe I can like turn his heart. Right? Like how gracious is our God that he's like pursuing this guy? Right? That's us. Like that's God's pursuit of us. This is amazing. And right? And then he, he ends up coming back and he, he takes down those Idols, he tears down the false altars, right? He reestablishes, right, God as king and Lord of Israel, right? He ends up doing all of these things. And so this is just like this awesome story about, like, repentance. That even when we go the wrong way, sometimes for decades of our lives, right, God is still trying to, like, bring us back to the point of freedom and forgiveness. Alright, so like when it comes to like this idea of any sort of idolatry in our lives, like God graciously warns us in his word or in the loving, right, correction from another believer. Like, listen, like you don't want this for your life. Like you could spend decades of your life pursuing this thing that you think is going to satisfy you. It's only going to disappoint you. And God's got this far better plan for you all along. Now a sad story in the case of Manasseh is that he dies about 67 years old, it seems And his son takes over. Let's read verse 21. It says, Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. Here we go. Come on. You got this boy. Come on. You saw your dad. He humbled his heart. Right? He repented before the Lord. (sighs) Come on, man. Verse 22. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. Amon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh fa- his father had made and served them. All right? Is there, is there hope here? Verse 23, it says, sadly, and he did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But this Amon incurred guilt more and more, and his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. So tragically, we see that maybe this, these decades of false worship that Manasseh had done even though he turned back and some of the people of Israel had turned back that it influenced his own kid in this negative way that his own son ended up refusing to humble his heart before the Lord right like this is like a devastating story and, and I think it's helpful to think not just about what we want to do today right but to think about the legacy that we have in the choices that we make right that when we see things like this or when the people of Ephesus realize like why am I messing around with this sorcery? Right? Like, Why am I doing this? That, the, that we can choose to repent and have an impact for generations. Right? That, that God is gracious. He invites us back. Right? Even though we've sinned against Him, He loves us and offers us forgiveness and freedom. And the cost isn't just on us. Like in the case of King Manasseh, sadly, it affected his entire nation. It affected his own children. Right? I mean, not just the ones that he'd burned and worship to these false gods. But I just want to point out that like we can't mess around with our sin. Right? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6:24. He said, "No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." All right, money is the example idol that he's talking about there, but it could be anything. It could be our own pride, our own ego, right? Like could be anything. So like when the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts to bring about this healthy correction and repentance, right? We need to listen. Because like I don't want my idols that I pursue to be something that then influences my children. Right? Like I need to be willing to like burn those idols like the people in Ephesus did. Right? And as a result of being willing to turn from those things, the name of God is glorified. Right? It said that at the end of that passage, that, right, that the name of Jesus was held in honor, that God's word right, grew in power in the sight of the people because they started honoring God. Right? As a result of this repentance, the spirit was able to move freely in that church and amongst those people, that more people are healed and set free and delivered. Right? But it requires us, the followers of Jesus, to be willing to be honest, right? To confess our sins to one another, right? To, to be willing to pursue and love Jesus and love other people. Let's see, the last verse I'll put up here as the worship team comes back up. Sorry, I've got such a damper on this, like, somber tone sermon. You're going to be, all right, you'll bring some joy in a minute here, I hope. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 7. Since we have these promises, beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So I want to let you know that salvation is not merely about forgiveness. It's about freedom from sin. Right? Jesus doesn't want you to live a life in bondage and then forgive you at the end of it. He wants to, yes, forgive you, but see you become free. It says in 1 John 3 that, Those who have this hope of seeing Jesus purify themselves just as he is pure. Right? So, like, I understand, like, this is like a somber thought, but godly sorrow leads to repentance. And repentance leads to health in this church, right? Health in our community. We want to see people set free. So that's what this is about. All right? So, like, we celebrate the fact that our hope is not in humanity, in our own ability to do everything right, but in the Savior that God sent right, sending his son to die for the wrong that you and I have done, right? This is what we celebrate about Christmas, right? For thousands of years, people looked towards this coming Messiah that God had prophesied about, that there would be this king who would be righteous, who would do good by his people, who would not be about himself, but would be willing to lay down his life for the flock. That's the king that we worship, right? That's the God who loves us. That's the Jesus who sets us free. And because we have this Jesus, because we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you came and lived among us, that you lived a life demonstrating your love for us and the love that the Father has for his people. I pray, Lord God, that you would work in our hearts this morning to, to celebrate the freedom and forgiveness that you offer and to lay aside anything that so easily entangles us and limits us in our, our capacity to serve and obey you. I pray, Lord, that we would not attempt to do the impossible and serve two masters, but, Lord, we would place you in right authority in our lives, that we would love and follow you, Lord God, that we would bring uh, just freedom to our own lives and families as we pursue you and experience just complete transformation because of your word and because of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.